Aloha. We're glad you've joined us for this Reunion Hawaii Church podcast. These teachings by our pastoral team are recorded live during our weekly services in Honolulu, Hawaii. We hope you will be blessed by this teaching. Today's a very momentous day. I wanted to talk to you all just for a couple minutes and um, just be very clear about the direction of this house, about things that we believe in this house. I really do believe that this is one of the biggest moments of our lifetime. Um, what happened yesterday with the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Um, before every major, let me rephrase that, before almost every major move of God, biblically and historically, there's been uh, an attack on innocence. There's been a genocide of children, usually targeting babies. Uh, we see this all throughout the Old Testament. We see this with Moses, right? That's how Moses came to live in the house of Pharaohs. They were killing the little ones. Um, this happened uh, several times as Egypt oppressed the Israelites. And we see this with Jesus. Um, they had to go to Egypt when Herod decided to kill every child birth to two. Um, we saw this in AD 70 with the Roman siege of Jerusalem, where they literally would target um, babies, nursing mothers, pregnant women. And almost every single time when that ended, there was an incredible move of God that happened afterwards. And um, make no mistake, uh, I really do believe this is one of the biggest victories in my lifetime. I remember a conversation I had maybe probably less than two years ago where I said, I don't know if I'll ever see the end of Roe versus Wade. And I really do believe this is momentous um, and this positions us for the greatest revival in my lifetime. Um, get ready. I think that the things we're praying for are actually going to be instigated by what happened this week nationally. And when a nation writes itself with God in this area, life comes. And I'm not just talking about unborn babies. I'm talking about spiritual life that comes to this nation and blessing will increase. Um, I'm so grateful for what happened this week. And I just want you guys to know where this church stands. Um, we're not a political entity. We're, we're um, children of the living God, but I want you to know where we stand. Um, we stand with God and with life, period. And um, I, I personally don't think that there's middle ground on this, and this isn't a political statement. I'm just reminded of Joshua in the Old Testament when he sees that angel standing in front of him, and he says, who are you? Are you with us or are you with our enemies? And he, the angel just says, no, I'm, I'm with God. I'm on his side. And this to me is a matter of, it doesn't matter if you're a donkey or an elephant, it doesn't matter. You, we need to stand with God on God's side. And we will do that. We absolutely will do this. Um, to me, there is nothing complex about this issue. There's nothing complicated. It's only complicated if we politicize it. But when we moralize it, it's very, very simple. And um, we celebrate the breakthrough into saving of the innocent unapologetically. That's where we stand as a house. Um, yeah. Now listen, I do want to add a however in there. You guys know me. Um, one thing that I've seen for about 48 straight hours is a lot of Christians posting things like, you cannot be a Christian if you support abortion. And um, we need to be really careful about pride entering our hearts because that statement's actually absolutely false. Romans tells us that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There's no asterisk that says, but you have to have right doctrine about abortion. It just says all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And people are, are putting posts up and saying things like, you can't be a Christian if you da 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 da. I'm, I'm just going to say something. I'll, I'll make all sides angry at me tonight. Are you ready? I'm just standing with the Lord. You get mad at God. Um, I hate to tell you this. I, I don't personally understand how a Christian can support abortion, uh, biblically or historically, but this is going to rub people the wrong way. There will be believers in heaven who believed in abortion that we'll spend eternity with. It doesn't mean they were right. It doesn't mean that that needs to be corrected, but I'm saying your stance on abortion isn't what gets you into heaven or puts you into hell. 
And we need to be really careful about moving forward that we actually reflect the living God, the God who stands for life. And is there a right and a wrong when it comes to abortion? Yes, absolutely. I'm just going to say abortion is wrong, period. But when Christians start to major in, in things like this and start calling out division and separation, we're suddenly not being very Christ-like. And um, listen, we've talked about this. The religious spirit wants to be right at any cost. It wants authority. That's what the Pharisees did. That's what the Sadducees did. And the political spirit wants power at any cost. But whether we're talking about the religious spirit or the political spirit, both of them divide. And the Bible is very clear that Christians aren't going to be known for our division. We're going to be known for our unity. And this is... We want to love those who love us, but that's easy. But now we actually have an opportunity to grow in the fruit of the Spirit and love those who don't love us and love those who aren't in love with our viewpoints. The danger in a major breakthrough, especially in this region where we talked about powers and principalities last week, is that fear and pride still exist. And the minute that we think we won, my side won, is the minute that we actually remove ourselves from the side of the Lord. Right? We've talked about this so many times. Our, our facts can be 100% right, but we're wrong because of our hearts. We're 100% right in our facts, but 100% wrong because of our hearts. We don't fight flesh and blood. We fight powers and principalities. Fear and pride absolutely reign and rule in this natural region. And if we start telling people that they can't be a Christian if they believe in abortion, um, we're probably partnering with fear and pride. Is abortion wrong? Yes. But the minute that we say you're not a Christian anymore is, is we cheapen the blood of Christ. We cheapen it. So we, will you guys stand up with me just for a minute? Because um, Rachel sang this out during worship. I, I really felt that the Lord was on this, that he's going to break heavy yokes today, especially related to this issue. And um, so, yeah, Father, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. We receive your men mentality, your, your perspective. In other words, we repent to see things the way that you see them tonight, God. Um, give us unity with you, God. Not with the church, not with our friends, not with our favorite Facebook, Instagram celebrities, but put us on your side. We choose to be on your side. And we repent. We celebrate life and hope for millions of unborn babies that will now see the light of day. This, we, we rebuke the biggest genocide of our lifetime, and we celebrate that there's now shockwaves running through that genocide. It's now trembling at the name of Jesus. So we proclaim your will be done on this planet, that literally heaven would come to earth in this situation. There is no shame in this, there is no condemnation in this, but we do repent to come into your perspective. And so would you give wisdom to our elected officials? Would you give them understanding would you break pride off of our leadership? Would you break fear off of our leadership? And we just proclaim that your light has risen and you have come to shine. So Father, we, we receive the journey, we receive the mission of being a light set up on a hill in this season. That light actually attracts people, that our, our light and our hope and our life that we carry would actually attract people, even those who don't agree with us on this issue. So we give this to you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, stay standing, stay standing. Um, I want to welcome up uh, a friend. Um, Mark Stinton is the associate pastor over at New Hope Kailua and uh, soon to be senior pastor. Is that, am I allowed to say that? Too late, I said it. He'll be stepping into that role in what, about a month or so? Wow, amazing. Mark is a wonderful, wonderful guy. When we're talking fivefold uh, giftings and anointings, he is absolutely a capital P pastor. If you ever are just feeling low on your love tank, go show up at New Hope Kailua during normal work hours when he's there and just be like, Mark, I need love because he will absolutely wreck you with his love. Uh, when we talk about this in Kingdom Living, it's the pastor's that actually reflect the love of the Lord the most of, out of all the fivefold ministry. And I just think Mark is such a shining example. He, he really gives perspective as to what um, it looks like to love people well. He's a wonderful teacher. He's a wonderful friend. So would you guys welcome Mark Stinton up to the stage. Come on. Reunion. What's up? Oh, man. 
This is surreal for me because I see you guys online all the time, but I see you guys in real life. This is amazing. Man, God is good. Take a seat. Thank you guys for, for, for that honor, Pastor Sam. And just right back, um, I got a few words to talk about your pastor. Um, is that cool? Can I talk about your pastor for a little bit? Um, I've, it's really easy for people, back to a fivefold, to have an apostolic figure, an apostolic leader um, that is easily swayed and easily tempted and easily uh, distracted into the wrong ambition. Um, what you have is, this is the, the, the verse that came to me, 1 Peter 2.9. God says that you are a chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, and you're a peculiar people. You have a really peculiar leader. Isn't that awesome? He's super peculiar. He's not normal. And this is, this is the best thing about him is that he is different. He looks different. He talks different because he's kept the main thing the main thing. Amen? And his ambition is contagious, and I see it life in here. Um, that's just the fruit of the leadership here. And so I'm just like, I just feel God's presence, his joy over you guys here this morning. It's so, um, it's so contagious, it's so thick in here. I don't know if you feel it as much as I do, but I'm like, wow, the Lord is really pleased um, with what's happening at Reunion. I have so much honor and love for Pastor Gary too. I just feel like everything that God is doing here is part of something bigger. And I wanted to cast this vision because before we get started, because I feel like I just wanna, God put like 100 things on my heart. I'm gonna try to get through a few of them. God is doing something new, amen? You guys feel it in the air? That revival that Sam is talking about, there's multiple pieces, there's multiple facets. But the, the, the way that I've kind of been perceiving it is we've come from a generation of Saul. And what I mean by that is, is big, um, big stature, uh, big popular, na you name it, um, famous, where the church has been um, it's platforming all the worldly desires. And this is what Saul was. Saul was tall and he was handsome. But God knew that Saul wasn't able to do for Israel what a David could do. And so God is right now, I believe he's raising Davids. He's raising, peop he's raising people who are living in obscurity, who are living in humility, but are doing the work of the shepherds and hitting bears and, and, and sh keeping sheep together. And I feel like this is a big part of what reunion is a part of, is this transition out of what we see in Christian culture, we're seeing God bring David to the platform. I believe that. And, and this is something that's not just happening here in Hawaii, it's, it's all over. And so I believe that, um, here's a word I had for you guys as we were messaging, and I never read Hosea. This is how I know it's from the Lord. <laughs> like, anybody actually read Hosea? I don't know. So Hosea says this to his people, and I believe this is kind of a word for this church here as I just have been worshiping with you for the last seven hours. Um, just the best, it's absolutely amazing. I'm so, oh my gosh, you have no idea. I'm like, I could just worship forever. So he says this to my people. Um, he's talking to Israel, but he says that I'm gonna be the one who heals your waywardness and love you freely. For my anger has turned away from you. He says this to you, my people, I'm gonna be like the dew that will blossom like a lily. Like the cedar of Lebanon, I will send down its roots, and his young shoots will grow up, and the splendor will be like that of an olive tree, his fragrance like that of the cedars of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade, and they will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the, sorry, they will blossom like the vine. You, you, my people, your fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. People will know you for who you worship. So who is wise? Let him realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand that the ways of the Lord are right, but the righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. Amen? And I got this vision that he says, I am the dew that sustains the trees that are growing. And if you know anything about dew, dew is drops. It's minor. It's tiny bits of water that when you live in the desert, you don't get big rains to feed your, to, to water the trees. You get dew drops, consistent every single day, not miraculous portions of water, tiny little portions, but consistent and faithful. And God is saying, I am that for you. And I believe that in this house, when it says that your young shoots are growing up, I'm watching the young kids in here worship, that the Holy Spirit is in them and through them and all over them, the same way as the, he is to the rest of us, amen? 
And so you have this new generation coming up that's because you are not watering your plants with dirty water, you are waiting on the dew of the Lord. And I believe that there's something new that's happening because of the faithfulness of letting dew drops day by day, pursuing Jesus, allowing him to fill you up, and God is changing you guys one person at a time. Amen? So receive that because I believe that's what God is doing. And again, I don't never read Hosea. So that's totally from the Lord. Hey, let me just tell you guys a quick little thing about me. Um, I won't be too long. Um, I really, um, so I'm from Kailua. I grew up in Kailua. Um, I was born in, on a place called Vancouver Island, which is in Canada. Come on, somebody. <laughs> so when me and Pastor Sam both have Canadian spouses. That's our biggest connecting point. And we love Schwarzenegger. Those are our two big ones. Um, but then um, my beautiful wife, Megan, is here, and our kids are in children's church right now. And she is, um, actually, I have a picture of them. I don't know if you guys got, there they are. Thank you. This is my family. Um, this is like the most we've ever almost looked in the same direction in the picture. So, so close. We're so close. Um, so Meg is a marriage and family therapist. And um, as a pastor, we just, um, we do people. We just love people. This is kind of what God has, the kuleana he's put on our hearts. Um, those are our three amazing kids, uh, Esther, Jude, and Micah. When you're a pastor, you go Bible because you don't want to displease God. So um, that's, yeah, I have to have Bible names. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, I tried to go for Gideon, but Meg vetoed Gideon. I'm like, come on. Um, have you read the story? You know, come on. So um, that's my family. We uh, pastor this great church called Nuhup Kailua. Um, we're on the, the windward side. Actually, our, we have some other friends here. Brian and Alyssa are our worship leaders. They get, they're in the corner. My absolute favorite worship leaders in the world. Um, close second is Rachel Morley. Um, and then I have my gym buddy dash life partner. That sounds weird, but it's, he, he, that's what he is. This is Sivan, Sivan Leone. Um, he's from Israel and he has, um, he is basically our church rabbi. <laughs> so, so any Hebrew wisdom, he puts on his robe and strokes his beard. It's amazing. All right. So there's a lot of things. And I, t I also want to say this. I teach at Pac Rim. And um, I love that Craig is here today. Pac Rim is an amazing school. I love exactly how Craig said it. It is a place for people who are hungry. We worship God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our mind. And I can tell you, there are people in this room who God is calling you. You have a beautiful mind. God has given you a depth of thinking, a depth of understanding that you are ready and it is your season to go deeper in the word. Amen? And he's calling you into it. And Pac Rim is a beautiful place where we do that with, you know, sometimes studying people call semin seminary cemetery. Sometimes, like it's the death of all things that are faith. Um, Pac Rim's different. And I've been there a long time and I, I totally um, agree with what was said earlier that Craig being in leadership right now, there's a full new season. Um, I think God is going to do something beautiful and new. There's going to be a blossom in that school this year. So for... Um, I would highly recommend go talk to Craig if that's you and you're like, I want to go deeper. I want to know more. I want to know the word. Man, Pac Rim is such a great place. So hope to see you guys there. But I want to tell a quick about my story. I'm, I'm a pastor's kid. I'm a seventh generation pastor or missionary, which in Paul's words is like doo-doo rags compared to the grace that Christ has for me, right? <laughs> So this is the truth, is I love my heritage, I love my family. I, my dad was born on the mission field, his mom was born on the mission field, and it goes all the way back. My great-grandparents served in Kalaupapa, on Molokai, they served lepers, they were medical missionaries. And so there's a, I recognize, that if I could give you a short testimony, more and more, every year, I realize my story actually isn't my story. Isn't that awesome? That God is doing something and he's doing something great, and it actually, I'm, all my job is to do is to partner with him, and, and God is going to make my path straight. He's going to um, lead me into my journey. And so for me, my growing up, I grew up in a Baptist school. I went to HBA. I love HBA, such a good school. If many of you guys know that school. Um, I went to a Baptist church. I grew up in the thickness of religion. Anybody else in here? I just want to know. I grew up in a thick, thick bubble of religion, and it was the best and absolute worst thing at the exact same time. Um, and today I want to talk about just when God is stirring my heart to, to teach this morning, God was like, yeah, just talk about this because I feel like as we are being freed in worship, which was amazing, I feel like many of us are still bound to some of the religion that we grew up with and God is like, I want that out of you. <laughs> Amen. And this has been my journey. Uh, this has been my journey, if I could summarize it in like two sentences, is God is leading me into ministry, but it's a ministry where I'm leaving my religion behind. Amen. I'm trying to. 
it, through his power, his spirit, he's leading me in that way. So today's message is called The Father's Grace. Grace is radical. People write songs about it. It's reckless. It's crazy. It's, it's um, scandalous. We hear this all the time. The scandalous nature of God's grace. It's absolutely all of those things. It's ridiculous. Like it's, it's to the point where we actually have a hard time receiving it because how could this be true? There's got to be a catch, right? I don't know about you. I've, I've fished for those thing, thoughts all the time. It's like, man, I, I don't know if I can, really? It's that good? Like God's grace, his covering over my life could really free me even though I've done this? Even though I've been here? Really? For me too? And this has been, man, such a, a process for me. It's like God's grace is this giant, um, I don't know, like buffet where you have to take a bite at a time. And when you look at it, it looks daunting. Like, I don't know if I could eat the whole thing. But God says, nope, my grace is sufficient. Eat all you can and you can never be full. It's going to be filling you for generations to come because the more I know Jesus and the more I learn about his grace, the more I'm excited to live for tomorrow. Amen? Man, I get so excited. So we're going to read some, a, a verse that we all know, but I hope that and pray that this morning that we can kind of um, do it with a new set of eyes, a new heart, um, if you will. It's a, it's a story we read over, we reference a lot, and it comes out of Luke 15. But before we get there, I want to just think, talk about a verse out of John 15, popped into my mind. Luke 15 and John 15 are so tied in my mind. John 15, he says this, he says that, I am the vine, you are the branches, Right? I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me will bear fruit. Amen? Come on. So what's the call? The call is to abide. It doesn't say this. He who abides in me and does their darndest at being obedient might bear a, a rational amount of fruit. Amen? He who, bear, who abides in me is going to bear fruit. It's a promise. If you stick with Jesus, your life will show it. You will bear fruit. It's going to show up in your family. It's going to show up in your marriage. It's going to show up in your workplace. If you abide in him, you will bear fruit. Amen? Amen. There's nothing more to it. This is grace at work because I can utterly blow it but still stay at attached to the vine who bears fruit in my life. I can have this withery branch on my tree that's full of wickedness, but as long as that withery branch is connected to the vine, it can still bear fruit. Amen? So good. So anyway, just that visual. Um, this is true visual. My, my dad has a mango tree. And right on the, come on somebody, mango season. <laughs> on the other side of our fence, our neighbor has a mango tree. Ours is so big that it kind of made his, um, it doesn't catch as much sun and stuff. So it's really scrawny and there's branches and stuff like that. I kid you not, year after year, if there's a botanist in here, I'd love to talk to you after because I don't know what's going on. Year after year, we get zero mangoes on my dad's big, giant, beautiful mango tree. I don't know why. But the neighbor's little scrawny one, for some reason, gets hundreds a year. And so I have to walk into temptation every single day to not steal my neighbor's mangoes. And I fail. I fail deeply. I start making up my own rules. Hey, if it's halfway to my fence, on our side of the fence, it's mine, right? So basically, like, if it's on their side, it's mine. If it's on my side, it's mine. Those, those are how the rules go when it comes to mangoes. But, but here's the idea. You look at this scrawny-looking tree, and you see the fruit that's coming out of it. There's got to be something going on because it doesn't make sense. And what I found out is the neighbor outside sprays his tree with water almost every morning. I'm like, is that just, is that it? Just a little bit of water will bear for, anyway. So I don't know if that's it, but if you have botany, I'd love to talk to you after. So here's what, um, here's a little bit of context when we talk about John, uh, Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, he tells us the story of the lost son. Now this story, I believe, is Jesus' best story he's ever told. And Jesus was an unreal storyteller. But I believe this is the best one he ever told for so many reasons, mostly because every single time I read it, I see something different in it. I don't know about you. There's so much more to grab. And so we're going to hit some of the big things where I feel God is trying to cover us in grace this morning, um, where he might see that come alive in each one of us. So the context is um, there's a ceremony called Kizaza. Everybody say Kizaza. Kizaza. So Kizaza is from the Talmud. And the Talmud is a, a ceremonial laws of Jewish people. So the context here, if you remember the story, Jesus is talking to Pharisees, and Pharisees were like, why would you eat with sinners, prostitutes, these wayward people? Who are you? What kind of priest are you if you're going to sit and share a meal with these, the scum of the earth? 
And that riles Jesus up, the evangelist in Jesus, like, let me tell you what I really feel about these people. And Jesus goes on to tell three parables in a row with no breaks. The only time Jesus tells three parables with no break, no explanation. He says this, it's like a sheep. Imagine a shepherd loses his sheep. Wouldn't he leave all his sheep behind to go after the one? Or it's like a woman who lost a coin. Her coin is so precious to her, it's all she has. That if she lost the coin, she would scour the entire house until she finds it, right? Or think about it this way. This is what Jesus is doing. He's trying to, three parables in a row, he's trying to get them to get it. Is there something you've lost that you wanted back desperately? That's what I feel about these people. And so Jesus tells this beautiful story um, about the lost son. And so this, this idea of kezazah, there's a ceremony that Jewish people believe that when the Pharisees heard this, they would have understood. And there's a slide, but it, the kezazah is, it's a ceremony to cut off a family member for either two things, marrying a Gentile or someone beneath your social standing, or number two, selling your inheritance estate, especially to a Gentile. So if you're a Jewish person and you did either one of these things, you have to go through a kezazah ceremony where you get cut out of your family because you married a Gentile, someone who's below you, particularly in social standing, or you sell your estate to a Gentile. And so Jesus is toying with the, with the Pharisees here when he tells this story, because this is somebody who deserves to be cut from the family. Amen? And I love Pastor Sam's heart when he shared about the Roe versus Wade situation, because this is what we, this is very easy to slip into legalistic thinking about it. And it's very important to keep our eyes fixed on him as, he, as we pursue this next season. So if you um, have your Bibles, you can open up to Luke 15. We're going to go through it together. But um, I'll also put it on the screen. I'm going to go through the NLT version. Verse 11 says this. He says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them a story. A man had two sons. Okay, there's a lot already. Did you guys see that? He had two sons. He didn't have servants. He had sons. Amen? He had two sons. Okay, we get, you're like, yep, okay, got it. Two sons, says it. Okay, the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his two sons. So good. So what is first grace? We're going to kind of talk about it. different elements of the grace of God as our father. We already see some grace. Number one, isn't it good that he lets us wander? Isn't that good? Could imagine if the father said, no, this is bad for you. What would, you're going to get your life into trouble. You're not ready yet. What kind of a trusting, loving father knows your son is going to make the biggest mistake of his life and still yet sends him out. The trust and the love of that kind of father is beyond comprehension. So he lets us wander. So this is what it looks like, I think, for many of us, is that we wander in, in our thoughts. We start doing things. We return to our old ways. We wander away from the things of God. Something happens in life and all the breakthrough that I feel like I've been experiencing all of a sudden goes in reverse and I feel like I'm back where I was at at square one. And I want to be there. I choose to be there. Sometimes I might even think this might be you. Or you might even think, oh, whatever, God, if the things aren't going to go my way, I don't mind wandering away and going and spending my money the way that the, good, the, the prodigal son did. So he lets us wander. He's not angry at us. He lets us go. You remember in 2 Samuel when Israel said this, they said, God, we want one of those human kings. All the other nations around us have a human king. We have you, which is cool, but we kind of want a king we can see and smell and touch and stuff, right? And we can talk to him a little bit. He's a little bit more available, right? This is probably like, right. And what did God do? God wasn't like, how dare you compare me with a human king? He said, fine, but this isn't going to go well for you. That's basically what he said. He's like, here. He says, but let me warn you. If this is what you want, this is what you're getting yourself into. Yeah? This is a good father full of grace. So he lets us make our bad decisions. He lets us wander because he's the redeemer of all things. That he can take good and bad for those who love them and turn them into good. He can turn them into blessing. He can turn them into favor when we stick with him, we abide in him. Amen? Whoo, he bears much fruit. So the verse goes on and says this, verse 13. It says, a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living, right? So it's probably Vegas, we're guessing. So about that time, look, Pastor Mark, I love going to Vegas. No, you don't, okay? That's where bad things happen. So 
About that time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Right? Mention, remember, Jews aren't around pigs. He's in Gentile territory. So he has gone and squandered his estate in Gentile territory. He is now worthy of being cut off by Jewish law. He persuaded the farmer to hire him. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Isn't that crazy? He looked to the world for what only his father could provide. He was used to his father providing. He was looking for the next best thing, and he was starving starving so much that even junk scraps from the table looked good to him. Is that you? That's me all the time. When I'm wanting something from God, but I don't get it right away, other things start looking good to me, the things that aren't of God. I will take pods any day if it fills my, 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 like, think, my sense that I need to have it immediately. Yeah? If, it's, if I can get it now, I'll take it. I don't care if it's from God or not. That's many of us how we think. This is where he's at. He was starving physically, but us, we read this and be like, man, sometimes I'm starving spiritually. Sometimes I'm in a dry place. Sometimes I'm in a desert, and I need pods. <laughs> I need pig pods, whatever a pig pod is. I don't even know, but I need that. I need this dirty, stinky pig pod thing. But this is like, the, it really, I feel like there's, God is telling us, he's speaking to us, there's a spiritual condition when we start settling for anything less than what God has for us. And when we start settling, we start missing who we are and his design and what he actually purposes for us. Amen? The, part, the story goes on like this. He says, when he finally came to his senses, he, oh wait, I don't like pig pods. He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. Even my dad has butlers and stuff and they eat. Maybe I can go home and be a butler. So I will go home to my father and say, say this to my father. I'll go home and tell him, father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy enough to be called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. He starts rehearsing it in the mirror. Have you ever rehearsed your prayers with God? I do sometimes, full confession mode. Like God's gonna hear the best, most articulate prayer he's ever heard today, and that's how I'm gonna get what I need from God, right? So he's putting his father, he's gonna rehearse this speech for his father, so when he sees his father, he can stand up with pride, he can ask for forgiveness, his father will give him forgiveness, and then he can become a servant. I want you to notice something in this passage. How many times are the words son and servant being compared? And here's the temptation. The temptation for us is when we fall into sin that we try to serve our way back to the father. Isn't that true? For real, this is all of us, man. Like, when I'm, I feel like I've sinned and I've done something to offend God, I feel like it's my works that's got me out of touch with God. It's my works that's gonna get me back in touch with God. Oh, God, you're gonna, don't worry, I'm gonna be so much better this time. God, you know, I'm gonna be so much more faithful in my prayers. I'm be so much more faithful in my Bible reading. I'm ready, right? But this is using religion to do what only God's grace can do, is to bring you back into the presence of your Father. You can't do anything other than abide in him. That's how you're gonna see fruit in your life. So if you're struggling and you feel like God is angry at you, we're gonna see exactly how God feels about us in a second. The point is pursue him at all costs, amen? So the temptation is always when we feel like when we sin against God, we've offended him so bad that I can no longer be a son, I have to be a servant. We lose our sense of sonship. We lose our sense of daughtership and we feel like we gotta, we gotta work for it. And so this is what I wanna kinda highlight today especially too. Look at how the father, look at the response. I love the response. So uh, verse, chap, sorry, verse 20 says this. He says, he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Wow. His father was standing at the door and waiting for him. He watched every day, right? This is the visual. He was standing, looking at the edge of the town. As soon as I see him hit the edge of the village, I'm there. He was waiting for him. He was filled with love and compassion, not condemnation. He was filled with love and compassion. 
He ran to his son, embraced him, and he kissed him. His son said to him, okay, big moment. His son is like, I'm good at this speech I've been rehearsing. It's about time. Dad's going to be impressed. Check out my speech. He says this, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy enough to be called your son. And I love how the father responds. But first, grace of the father is number two is this. He always pursues us. Isn't that beautiful? He always pursues us. When we feel like we're distant, we forget he runs to greet us. You might have heard this before. The, the cool cultural commentary on this says that men in first century Israel didn't run. It was humiliating to run and to show your legs. If he picked up his robe to run, he would have showed his legs. This is a God who would humiliate himself by means of showing grace to his son. The lengths that God would go to to show grace. He didn't play it cool. He didn't sit back and be like, all right, you say sorry first. You're the one who did wrong. He pursued the one who was in the wrong. This is the grace of God at work, amen? And I love how this, so his, again, the son, back to the scene, the son gives this speech to dad. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Guess what he says? Verse 22. The father said to who? The servants. He didn't even respond to his son. His son said, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven Please let me be a servant. And what does he do? He looks at his son and he turns to the servant. Go get him a ring and a robe. He doesn't know who he is. Let me remind him who he is. This is you, family of God. When you are in sin, God is waiting with a robe and a ring for you to relinquish, not relinquish, for you to reestablish the mindset of a son or a daughter that he has called you. And when you reestablish that, he's like, finally you get it. You get it. You are a son. You're done. You can't sin. There's no sin you can commit that will separate you from me, from you, from my love. Isn't that awesome? So he says this, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his fingers and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now he has returned to life. Wow. He was lost but now he is found. So the party began. Come on. <laughs> it's party time. He is home. He is home. And so, again, if you're taking notes, kind of another point of grace here is that he doesn't keep our records of wrong. Could you imagine what it means to be a father standing out of a, a, on the ledge of your balcony waiting for your son to come home after he's absolutely betrayed you? Could you imagine what the hurt would have felt like that he would have to deal with but still let go? Because that's the love of a father. That's the kind of radical grace he, is, he has. And we can't comprehend that because it's so unnatural to us. But God has that for us. He doesn't keep record of our wrongs. And so as we pursue, like as we go into the story, verse 25, he says this. Oh, before that. This is the best part. I've always wondered this. If you go back to verse 22, he says this. He says, the father said to his servants, quick, bring a robe, bring a ring, everything. I've always wondered, why didn't he ask for forgiveness? Have you ever noticed that in this passage? In his rehearsed speech, he says, please forgive me, basically. But when it gets to the father, all he says is, I've sinned against you, let me be your servant. But here's the amazing part. The father never stood over him and said, you need to ask for forgiveness. Why is that? It's because the father was never offended. He was never offended. There was nothing to forgive because he's been made a son. And when you are a son of the most high God and you believe that Christ died for you 2,000 years ago, you can't offend God with your sin. Someone needs to hear that. You can't disgust God with the things that you do. Right? You can't. There's nothing you can do to separate love. There's nothing. I've heard an old Baptist preacher once said it this way. Has it ever dawned on you that nothing's ever dawned on God? Right? He is not overwhelmed by your sin. He is not overtaken about, I can't believe Sherry did that. Right? That's not him. He is unoffendable by our sin when we abide in him. He says, you are my son. You are my daughter. There is nothing that can separate the love I have for you. Your life will bear fruit depend, no matter what kind of sin that you've committed in your life. 
This is radical. And when we preach that, we get into trouble. I tell you that. I tell you. If I preach this to a Baptist right now, he'd be casting demons out of me. <laughs> Sorry if there's Baptists in the room. But it's true, right? Is that not the grace of the Father? Is a God who is good enough to handle all the heat that we throw at him and still everything washes right off because he sees us for who we are. He's never seen us as a servant where we need to perform in order to get his love. He sees us as a son where that love is covenantal, it's familial, it is the love is there before we do anything. There's no other reason that, that he loves you, that God loves you, other than that he made you exactly how he wanted you to be. Amen? That he's called you yours. You are a chosen people. He has called you holy. You are not sinners saved by grace. You are saints in his eyes. Right? <laughs> like how many of us grew up thinking that? Like I'm a sinner saved by grace. You're not a sinner anymore. Right? Back when I was sinners, that's when Christ died for me. That's what Romans says. That's a thing of the past. He doesn't see me as a sinner anymore. He sees me as a saint. Full on. I am the righteousness of Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I don't live in under any condemnation. This is freedom in Christ at its best, and we're watching it happen, again, in the most miraculous story that's ever been told. Wow. My son of mine was dead, and he came back to life. We'll jump back to this is where it gets, I feel like this is the best part. And at verse 25, he says this. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf and we're celebrating because of a safe return. Oh, yeah, you're the older brother. You're like, what in the what now? <laughs> he did what? And he gets what, right? And we'll see exactly how he responds. But I love, there's something we learned about God's grace in this is number four, is that he celebrates us in the midst of sin. He never got forgiven for what he did. He never asked for forgiveness for what he did, but they're already slaughtering a calf. Why? Because ca the calf gets slaughtered in your name just simply because you are the son or a daughter of the king. And you deserve it because God loves you and he's poured his favor upon you and he's called you his. And when he calls you yours, there is nobody that can take that away. There's nothing to ruin the celebration in Jesus' name. So it celebrates us in the midst of our own sin. How, I wonder what kind of grace we have on other people in the same way. When we are get sinned against, can we celebrate people even though we're getting sinned, especially those who stab us in the back, who do things against us, who cut us down? Can we not only love them, but can we celebrate them? That's <laughs> so good. That's the goal. Goals, Jesus goals, hashtag Jesus goals. That's where we want to get to. Verse 28, he says this, the older brother was angry why? The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once have you refused to do a single thing. Have I refused to do a single thing you've told me to do? And in all that time, you never gave me one goat or feast with my friends. Listen to his heart here. I've done everything. It's the mindset of a servant. I've done everything. Don't you see me? Do you see how I've been serving you? Look at the good deeds I've done. And what, how does the father respond? In love to this. When the son of yours comes home back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And here's how the father responds, verse 31. He says it this way. His father says to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me. I see you. I know that you're close to me and everything I have is yours. He squandered his estate, that means the rest that I have is yours. We have to celebrate this happy day because your brother was dead and now he has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And I love that the story ends there because we don't know how the brother responds. There's an invitation to us as we hear that. And I wonder to you if you've ever been the older brother, the older brother stuck in religion, because remember who, got, who he's talking about here. He's talking, telling the story to the Pharisees. Who are the Pharisees in this story? It's the older brother. This is actually who the, the parable is about. The parable is about how the older brother responds when God shows uncanny grace to the younger brother. This is the heart that God wanted the Pharisees to hear. 
Are you able and willing enough to see the heart of God so that you may bestow the same grace on them as I do? You see them as prostitutes and, and all these things, the, the low lives of the earth, the scum, the tax collectors of the earth, but I see them as sons. And so for us, we sit here and we have to wrestle with this. God tells us, look, he's lost, but he's found. There's a spirit of jealousy that comes over for a lot of us as Christians when we see blessings and favor happening with other people. Instagram don't help because we see everybody doing great on Instagram and they're posting their best stuff and you're like, oh, God, I've done everything. Why not me, right? The same spirit still lingers here and until we can get rid of that religious servant-oriented spirit, we're gonna miss that God says, you have everything you need because you're already my son. I see you, I hear you, your obedience means something. But for, in terms of grace, when I, when I raise other, up others, when I bless those who don't deserve blessing in your eyes, when I show favor to those who you might not understand why I show favor, it's because they are my kids, they were lost, and now they are found, I'm celebrating. Join the party, <laughs> amen? How can we be people that join the party when we see others succeed well? It's a really important question, part of our, our kuleana, yeah, as Christians, is that when we see other people do well, we see God's favor on other people, we celebrate it. We, we all bring the calf next time. You know, let me slaughter something. I want to slaughter something for this party. This is the heart of God. He's so much, he has so much grace and favor over people that sometimes his grace and favor over others might make us feel like he doesn't have that for us. And God's love is not limited by any kind of capacity. He can love, sometimes we think about it this way, we talk about it with our kids. It's like, oh, if, if I give X amount of love to one of my children, that's one less piece of the pie, so to speak, for everybody else. So I wanna make sure everyone gets an equal piece of the pie. That's not how God works. God's love is an omni-love. It's an ever-flowing love. He has enough to fill your tank and mine at the same time, amen? He doesn't, he's not limited. He's like, oh, I blessed Craig Pankow today, so nobody else gets any, right? Because look at that guy, he's amazing, right? But that's not how God works. He doesn't have a quota for love. His quota is never ending. It is a constant flowing river of life. That's so good. So this is how um, the, the last point of grace is this, is that God, I love how the father responds to the son because even at his most selfish thinking, he still loves us even when we're at our most selfish thinking. He still shows so much love to the older son. He could have rebuked his son. He could have cast him out and says, you don't understand me. Get out of here, you don't know what's happening. He loved him, he says, don't you see, I love you too, you've been with me and I love that, but we're celebrating your brother right now. It's his time. And so here's the final question I want, want you to ponder is, when we read this story, is which one is actually lost? And this is, this is the question, many like scholars and stuff debate this too, when it's called the, lost, the parable of the lost son, who is the real lost son? Is it the brother who left and betrayed his father but was drawn back to him? Or is it the brother who stayed close and obedient to his father but never understood his heart? Who's more lost, yeah? This is a question we have to wrestle with. This is what religion has told me my whole life, that if I can stay and be obedient, God will give me more favor, he'll be more pleased with me, and if I sin, I better work my butt off to get back into his rightness again. That is what religion has been telling me. And I'm sitting here reading this as I would rather blow it, but know that my father is so good I can always return to him. I can trust in his grace. People will say, you can't abuse grace. You can, <laughs> because God's grace isn't abusable, right? And I mean that. That sounds crazy, but it's like we hear this all the time. Don't abuse God's grace. If God is not offended by my, because I'm his son, I can freely live under his grace, and I mean freely. And so we don't, what we do here, and this is, I won't go there, but I would say this. One of the most important parts of our transformation is the knowledge that we live on an uncanny amount of grace. And in that grace, God's goodness is so good that it compels me not to live in sin anymore. It's him who transformed me. I don't have to not sin on my own power to try to appease God. Amen? That's a servant mentality. The son mentality is, my God is so good, I wanna do everything that would honor him because he loves me so much. That's the mindset of a son. And so I wanna challenge anyone in here today, if you are struggling with a servant mindset, 
could you could it be a thing that where you throw that aside this this evening and just say look I'm done being a servant I'm gonna stop trying and start abiding I'm just gonna stick with him and know that all good things come from him so I can abide in him and stick with him and there will be fruit in my life trust in his timing amen and so here's what I want to do can we stand up I want to pray this over everyone an abiding prayer if this is you, and like I, when we were worshiping, I had no doubt in my mind that this is an abiding church. You guys are connected to Jesus and you love him and the spirit flows within the walls of this building. But I don't wanna miss if there's anyone who's feeling overwhelmed by the yoke of your own service, the, woke, the, 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 the yoke of your own desire to get back into his sight, into his righteousness. May we stop trying and doing and start just being with him. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, we're so grateful that you have called us a son and a daughter. We thank you, Jesus, that you are a king and that in a king, in your rule, in your reign, that you have called us into royalty, a royal priesthood. Father, I pray that the reality of what that looks like might come and sit in our hearts and actually sink in. I pray, Jesus, that the grace that you have bestowed on us wouldn't be so overwhelming, it wouldn't be so confusing, but it would be something that we realize you've already put on the table 2,000 years ago and I can still access it anytime I want. That your grace is sufficient for all things. Your grace is sufficient for my family, your grace is sufficient for my marriage, your grace is sufficient for my work and for every part of my being. And so God, I just pray um, just in this house here this evening, I just feel it in my heart for those who have received your grace but are having a hard time giving it back. I pray God that there would be a releasing in here to know just as you tell the parable of the servant who was forgiven much, may he go and forgive much as well. I pray God that the grace in that you've given us would be so warmly received that the grace we give out would be multiplied through every single relationship we have. Father, for parents in here who are still holding on resentment to their kids for things their kids have done, Jesus, we pray releasing of that. We pray for a grace and an overwhelming, unconditional love to take the place of the resentment that's filled that hole for years. Jesus, we pray for marriages who have long lists of wrongs. And every time there's scraps, those lists seem to come out. God, I pray that there would be this grace that would absolutely tear that list of, of wrongs right before their eyes. Father, that there'd be a new life because of the grace that we live under. And Jesus, we just pray for every single one here <clears throat> in our connection with you. May we abide in you as you connect us to the Father. So Jesus, I pray for fruit. I pray for fruit for this church. I pray for fruit in our lives. Uh, but most important, God, I pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have your way in us. Father, bear the fruit you need us to bear. Help us not to compare fruit but help us to be content, holy contentment with every drop of dew that you feed us. Jesus, we love you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen. For more teaching like this, subscribe to this podcast. If you would like more information about Reunion Hawaii Church, our website is reunionhawaii.com. If you're in Honolulu, Join us Sundays at 5, live at Kahala Mall. Aloha.